Okay. Season three, Eugene. I know. Notice I'm keeping quiet, actually, because as I re-listened to the last season, I'm like, yeah. every episode I started, Jim Joyce, it's Wednesday. So I'm trying to let you uh, take the lead now. <laughs> yeah, we're just celebrating every single Wednesday. What what the critic, one of the critics said last time that we spent with Martin, we spent the first 10 minutes just saluting each other. <laughs> yeah, which sp- speaking of, I, I know uh, it's crazy uh, that it's two o'clock, but I'm I'm ready. L- last last week was easier because I was on uh, the I, I was on the European time zone. That's right. You've got. You, are you excited to have jet lag? Um, honestly, I like. I don't even know. I mean, it, it's funny how you kind of fall out of. Um, you know, when I was traveling back and forth, and all the time, it was kind of no brainer. Now it, yeah. it really hits me hard. But you know, one one quick uh, update. So it's today. We're doing this in out of this wonderful garage. Next week, right. we're gonna do this out of the garage. The week after, it'll then be in Barcelona. So I don't know for how many viewers and listeners are watching, but we're we're moving, so we finally got the visas. Um, so I'm gonna cheer to that because that's exciting. Congratulations, big news! The circuit. Yeah, I was talking to some of your friends, and everyone was excited that you've 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 tackled the Spanish in American bureaucracy during the pandemic. <laughs> for three, I know. For who said something? Uh, it's like the pain of Spain. We've overcome it so far. So uh, looking forward to uh, in, in enjoying the time there. But um, yeah, I think anyway. it's a great time to 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 run tail in the U.S. You know, <laughs> after the, the debate performance last night. Oh, <laughs> I, I are we gonna go there? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> this is a safe space. <laughs> exactly. Um, Anyway, how was how was your week? Otherwise, you're in the office. Yeah, in the office, we're um, you know in the office, kind of burning the midnight oil on on all sides right now. Uh, talking to Australia this morning, obviously to you this evening. Uh, so uh, in the office, working away, plugging away. I have nothing interesting. I mean, the, only thing, the only thing I'm obsessing about is um, is you know with my son now going to Scotland. Uh, you know, so UK, uh, Scotland. Uh, we're back in lockdown city, you know, we're, yeah. we're well into, I won't say the word, but well into our second wave here. And then I, I was on the phone with Australia this morning and they're, they're out of it. So the seasons, um, the Australian summer is starting to hit now and it looks mm. like it's a seasonal impact. So anyways, all good news coming forward. All good news. <laughs> no, listen, uh, I, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I put it on Instagram when I arrived to uh, JFK um, and nothing, no temperature checks, no warnings that I should be in quarantine. Uh, you know, it was a self quarantine. I went in for I think 72 hours and then actually used a service. Um, uh, it's a startup, uh, Ziffy Care. Amazing. It was like a COVID test. So I had a care coordinator all within the app. Uh, hop on with a care coordinator. They brought brought on a doctor to just make sure I have no symptoms. And this was just a routine precautionary. Literally 15 minutes later, a nurse shows up to the door of uh, the place I'm staying at. And next morning I woke up to luckily negative result. So I just, I was pretty, pretty impressed by the coordination of it. But anyway, um, speaking of still New York. I said there's money in COVID. <laughs> hey, oh, what, what? 
What did you What did you have on the other side? Anyway, um, this uh, our guest today. I I was trying to count right before this. Um, I've known her. Uh, so I started in Metco when my older daughter was born in 2002, and I met her shortly thereafter. So, holy crap, like almost, I guess, 18 years, which doesn't realize it. And then one day it's like, oh, this person is in Berlin living. And oh, but anyway, so um, I'm going to uh, very quickly say her name, but I think she will do her own introduction because uh, I haven't kept up with her. But uh, Rashida Bob, um, who I'm going to let in. Yeah, no, in Rashida, you know, I, I again, I met Rashida. It could take a while, I guess, how I met Rashida. Oh, Health Excel, right? <laughs> Health Excel. <laughs> and she ended up joining Hi. us. She is. Hey, we were just talking about Hi, you. Guys. Well, we we're just talking you. about you. One second. Uh oh. And okay. now I can hear you. Can you hear Excellent. Us? Don't say any bad words because we're already recording. Oh, great. <laughs> How are you? How are you? Look fresh. Look fresh. It feels weird to see the both of you without being at a conference or a bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's our reputation. I mean, <laughs> we made our own virtual conference. This is it. And we made our own virtual bar. This is it. So I I'm cheering. Have, I have my shot glass. But we should wait. Should we start? Do we start with this or do we end with it? Yeah, it's just, right, throughout. Just, Cheers. Okay. Yes. Take it when you have it. Take it when you have it. <laughs> So, so Rashida, I was saying, I was trying to calculate before the show how long I've known you, and my my recollection was the only reason I know when I started Metco is um, uh, my my older daughter was born, and the two days after I started Metco, and I think we met shortly after. So it must have been anywhere between fifteen to eighteen years now that we've known each other. Exactly. And was that in the U.S. Or you're in, in Berlin. The U.S. Okay. In New Jersey. In That's right. Jersey. Franklin Lakes. Franklin. So Eugene hasn't properly introduced you yet, other than saying no. That's name, true. That he knows you. So so for our uh, millions and millions of listeners, <laughs> please tell us <laughs> tell us who Rashida Bob is. Over to you, Rashida. Oh, oh, I thought Neil was going to intro me. Okay, sure. Oh, no. I, I, as Marty calls me, I'm the laziest host ever. Oh, um, so I... No, no, I can introduce myself. Um, so I'm Rashida Bob. I am kind of broadcasting from New York City, my hometown of the Bronx specifically. I, um, gosh, I've been in healthcare for a long time. I use a lot of eye cream. But um, more specifically, I mainly, I started on the operations side of healthcare and strategy. And I've worked for health payers, PBMs, just working with Eugene at Medco back in the day, pharmaceutical companies, health systems. And yeah. I started my career early off in management consulting. And so it only makes sense that when I became a corporate refugee, I went back into consulting, <laughs> for my consulting career again. So I have a consulting firm called Bricks Health. And I named it Bricks Health because our goal is to dismantle the bricks that separate progress in healthcare. Ooh. And um, yeah, there's a lot of bricks. I can talk all day about that. But um, so as a firm, we do um, strategy consultant, product market fit, um, and all the different operational processes for people who are trying to either do deals and st with startups. So those are the investors or the corporate investors or private 
best work experiences of my life working for startups. I'm always trying to be on their side and help the traditional companies work better at partnering and investing in them. Fantastic. Talk about how, how we met. We met at, yeah. yeah, we say met at Health Excel, but we, we quickly went off to an island together. Um, <laughs> we quickly went off to. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, James, I think you need to elaborate why the island. Other <laughs> right, people right. there, it was not just the two of us. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, it wasn't. It was a whole crew. We brought, we brought uh, the whole Health Excel crowd. It, we went, we did, we did karaoke, I think, first, yes. you know, the night, and then, and then we, we drove to Galway and we went up to the Aran Islands, which is like a, this tiny, incredibly beautiful. cold, uh, beautiful, but quite, you know, I missed that one. Yeah. I always miss yeah, the good ones. It. Yeah, it was this one. So we went off to the island, hung out in the Aran Islands for the day. You know, we went, you know, we went to Galway for dinner and hung out in the day. Exactly. So, awesome. so you were just integrate, you were just met the, the Health Excel crowd at that stage, right? Like you did. Exactly. On the, on the podcast last before me, so I'm in good company. Right. Um, yeah, that's yeah. my first Health Excel event. I love the group. I love the kind of intimacy. It was just like the right people in the room. And right. that was my first trip to Ireland, my first of three trips in like one year. So obviously, it made a good impression. I love Dublin. I love Ireland. You went back I, to Ireland two, two more times. Two more times. I went back for Easter. Um, and I also went back for another event. Yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah, it does suck you in a little bit because it's funny because the weather's not great, but the people are kind of fun. They all when you say you're from New York, they're like, Yeah, my cousin's from there. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well there's uh the, there's the uh what what's the area? I mean I, I when I was living in Washington Heights, right above it, um Inwood. Yeah. That was a very, yeah. very Irish neighborhood, right? Yeah, from... there's an Irish neighborhood in the Bronx, um on two thirty third. For some reason a name is slip in my head. It's it's small. It's next Kingsbridge area, a little bit, no, it's a little bit north. It's near a really famous oh. um, cemetery. Um, yeah, but it's totally. Fun. I totally know the area because I went, I went to school in the Bronx. I went to Fordham University in the Bronx, you know, so we used to sneak up to the Irish pubs up, up there, you know. Yes. It was, There's an Irish pub somewhere, <laughs> everywhere. The yeah, the name is escaping me. What's the name of that place? We'll think of it in a second. Anyway. Wakefield, uh, Wakefield. That's the area, I think. So okay. Wakefield. Okay. And then how's New York? Um, huh. New York is going okay. I mean, it's highs and lows. I think obviously we're trying to, and I say we need a collective New York curve and avoid having another um, restriction and quarantine period. There's some increase of um, incidents and a lot of neighborhoods where there's some celebrations. I think a lot of them are Hispanic Jewish neighborhoods, um, but I think there's some new kind of initiatives. Okay. Um, they're opening up the restaurants indoors, 25% capacity, so no longer have to eat in front of exhaust and honking horns. So let's yeah. see. I'm trying yep. to lay low. I, I love to eat out, but for me, I just I try to find something elevated or really quiet to eat out at. I, I don't try to go. My my no, social I life is not the same yet. 
Though I have to say, I mean, we've been going as a family uh, and actually quite enjoying the outside seating. It's almost like we felt back like we're in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and the differences, I mean, I was just in, in Italy where, I mean, the outside seating was actually not really outside with just like some windows open um, on top. Um, but I mean, the separation, um, you know, the plexiglass and a lot of the stuff. So I actually feel pretty comfortable in New York. And I mean, outside of... Um, uh, certain areas, I think I just saw some, you know, peaking, you know, three, four, five percent positivity rate. Yeah. Overall, New York's been doing pretty well, and I've been impressed with mask wearing. Yeah, and, and Eugene, to your point, I agree. Like, there's a lot of restaurants in New York City, so I like the ones with a little plexiglass, and they put the little pretty flowers and leaves. They try to like out, they really decorate or elevate the outdoor yeah. space. And there's some that are not trying as hard. So <laughs> I get right. to be collective New York. Right. I was thinking, Eugene, like how. Um, we're going to have, you know, like some of the projects that I've been involved with in healthcare where, you know, where we say we introduce a, a pharmaceutical medication that's almost effectively like a cure for a condition. And, and you have this strange reaction, um, you know, like say hepatitis C or, you know, now you can do um, like your blood transfusions, you, you, you know, like there's different treatments that control different conditions. But a strange reaction happens to patients is when they, you remove the disease, when the disease mm -hmm. goes away, they um, actually get upset because it's associated with their identity. They go to the hospital. And so I, I feel like, are we all going to feel like this once we get through this thing? Like we're going to miss, we're going to, we're going to miss these times. I don't know. I'm going to do a big dance. <laughs> Regular life to just yeah, yeah. eat where I want, drink where I want, hug people whenever I want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so how long have you considered yourself in digital health? Like, like when did you start to kind of grab onto that moniker? That's a good question. It's funny because um, for a while, I know learning about F Health 2.0 events, um, I went to one in the um, West Village. I forgot we used to have them down the West Village near um, SOBs. So next to the, the um, downtown, I used to have these afternoon Health 2.0 like showcases. And I remember being there, and I think Eugene and I, I don't remember seeing you, but I'm sure you were there also. And I remember seeing these pictures, and I'm like, oh my gosh, people are doing all these cool things in digital healthcare. I'm too bad I'm stuck in this like corporate world. And then I realized that I actually was doing some of the early foundational things of digital health. It just, we weren't calling it that. Um, right. It was before the nomenclature change. But yeah. I was working on telemedicine um, and chronic disease management using pharmaceutical um, protocol as a way to increase um, the, I mean, the, the touch what, between the patient. What year, what year was that? I'm just trying to, uh, and this is where we'll loop in Matthew, right? Uh, because I actually thought the uh, the meetup that now Alex Fair um, uh, been the lucky sucker running it, um, <laughs> as he always says. Um, we started 2008, and we kind of looped Matthew into changing the name at the time. Um, yeah. So I didn't realize that there were other things. Yeah, and I think there was also, um, I forgot, also I think it was a co-promotion with the incubator that used to be, I, I don't want to that was in New York. Blueprint, Blueprint Health. Blueprint, Blueprint Health. Blueprint yeah. Health yeah. plus Health 2.0. And this was probably 2010 or 11, okay. I would say. Um, but yeah, so I, anyway, I was early, yeah. it's funny enough, I was doing, when I worked, um, I worked for four years, I think, yeah, three, four years, um, actually, sorry, five years with Medco and Express Scripts. 
And the projects I worked on the last two, three years were all about kind of increasing access to health records for caregivers and increasing touch points between um, patients and the clinical team, um, especially those with chronic diseases using telemedicine solution. That is digital health. We just weren't calling it that. We just call it strategy right. or right, right. technology, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm a nomenclature person, but we weren't using the terminology. So I thought it was what other people were doing. And I realized yeah. I was doing it in that kind of entrepreneur standpoint. So I say 2012, 2011. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, so a decade. A decade. Almost. Almost yeah. a decade. And so what happens now? So, so what's, so, so like, and then you went off and moved to Berlin. You went to Berlin, you went from New Jersey to Berlin. I think that's you, you and Eugene have the same, the same, same path, same path. It's a very common path in Jersey. I only worked in Jersey, so I was a crazy commuter. So basically I hated the commute. And so I thought I might as well move to Berlin. Um, yeah, I moved to, so I stayed with the company for five years. Um, had an opportunity with the Bosch Stiftung, Bosch, you know, Bosch Corporation. Sure, sure, sure. Stiftung is a foundation in German to work as a consultant with um, Pfizer and then um, um, a VC called Peppermint Health. And that's where you met Dom Kennerson, right? Yeah. That's how, okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, actually, we met later. So Dom was a couple of years before me. Um, okay. We met on the phone virtually and didn't meet in person until probably 2016. But yeah, so I that brought me to Berlin. Original plan was to be there only for one year, and then I stayed. I continued doing work. I got hired by Pfizer, and yeah. I also worked with um, Peppermint Ventures for you know Klaus. That's right. With Klaus, yeah. who's obviously a really good friend, Klaus Tukemein. And, so and um, you pronouncing his last name much better than I can. Come on. Sorry, my German has gotten so bad. Forgive me, all my German friends. I will forgive you. I promise. <laughs> so then, Eugene has told me that you're really into um, uh, pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. All right. So for, first, you're talking about uh, islands, getting away on islands. Now you're talking about pain. I, I love it, Jim. I told Eugene to carry me through this episode. Never. No, you're you're carrying. I'm just gonna sit back and relax. I love it. James, I'm is excellent. No, um, I, I know. So yeah, it's my new obsession. So I know I'm talking to the audience of people who live and breathe in this world of digital health, innovation, and all the new hot topics. And I'm kind of on this campaign to make um, a hot topic of pain management, okay. and not better yet, before pain management, pain proper pain recognition, and okay. um, when a person, especially when a woman comes to a clinical setting, whether it is urgent care, ER, or to a specialist, and they have complaints of pain. Um, there's been multiple st studies, including by you know, um, any New England Journal of Medicine, that a woman who goes to ER presented with pain symptoms is seen an hour and a half later than a man. And it goes back to how pain is diagnosed, assessed, and of course, how practitioners are trained to recognize right. pain. And a lot of women, um, being the ver great verbal creatures we are, and I'm not being facetious, it's true, we are much more verbally astute. We use a lot of words that I think sometimes clinicians don't listen to. And I okay. think also, you're, you're often asked to rate your pain um, from a scale to one to 10. And um, the pain sometimes is just not believed, um, especially if you're a woman, especially you're a woman of color. And then secondly, um, because the pain is basically taken by, the intake is basically what the, 
the, the patient is saying, the doctor doesn't have enough information. So sometimes someone's complaining about pain, but the biomarkers are not showing that. So I've just been really obsessed with um, different companies that are looking at different biomarkers, um, different variables, anything to help. What are the biomarkers for pain? Biomarkers for pain or what? Yeah, I was going to say, what are, what are other, like, because to me, it's like the one to 10 is the simple thing, but like, I'm curious what. I mean, that's probably from 1900, so we can do better than that, right? So there are some um, correlations in cortisol. There's correlations, um, cortisol is one of them. Um, also, um, um, adrenal function also shows a lot of pain um, variation. Um, electrolytes, yeah. So if you think about anything that measures that, so that could be measured in your saliva, that can be measured by your sweat, okay. um, that could be measured, of course, in um, different blood tests. I mean, there's some really interesting things happening um, with different what companies. Pain? Like pain, such an interesting topic because you know, you know, one person, you know, you may, you know, you know, one person's measure of pain, so your capacity to absorb pain, or if you've lived with pain yes. for a long time, and then, you know, it's a relative condition. Um, exactly. that's fascinating that they're trying to put an actual clinical biomarker, but then you'd have, it's kind of have to be against yourself a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. I have a good friend. Actually, you met her. Um, I won't mention her name for her person confidentiality, but Jim met her. We hung out yeah. the last time we were in the, um, in the Bay area, um, for, um, JP Morgan, but she suffers from sickle cell anemia and she actually had a flare up, um, which required her. So when she is in pain, she, because her pain tolerance is so high, sickle cell anemia, for those who don't know, is basically named after the, the way the cell looks like. It's actually a deformed cell of your blood, your blood cells, which of course your blood cells run throughout your whole body. And they sometimes have pointy ends. So basically cause pain throughout the whole body. And there's obviously some areas that's very painful. And my friend has had this diagnosis since she was a teenager. It's genetically predisposed to people from the African continent and the Caribbean. Okay. Um, and she's lived abroad, but she's in San Francisco. Great health system. She has pain. She has experts. She knows what's wrong. Um, so after being at home in pain for a couple of days, she goes to the ER. She explains, I've done this before. These are my veins. Please put a drip. I know what drug I need. And literally it took, and I'm not exaggerating, a full 26 hours for them to give her the right pain medication and give her um, the right infusion that, that she needed. Um, this is the power of the e-patient, knowing their body, knowing what they're going through, knowing the triggers. Uh, exactly. Yep. It's, it's, it's a multifaceted issue. I mean, it goes back to the training um, when people are clinically trained in the continual education in the health system. A is to believe pain. I know there's a lot of people who are abusing opioids, but it right. to me, doesn't take much to look in someone's clinical record and see someone has a diagnosis or has a series of complaints that could be... Um, correlated to have a real pain and also like listen to the patient and unfortunately this happens a lot and that's like an example of like when it definitely shouldn't happen but it also happens with people who have women yep. who have pelvic pain and endometriosis and a yep. lot of other pain after childbirth so there's a lot of other times is that it, it's actually but it, you know is the theory is, is the theory on it's 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 your the theory is it's more diagnosed or it's or the data says it's more diagnosed in men uh, and it's less diagnosed in women of color. That's why, so, and yeah. And is that, you know, is the thesis on, on that, that they, you know, cause I, I always think of like, they have the joke, um, I don't make a joke about pain, but um, you know, or like, you know, how do you um, change an Irish mother's light bulb? How do you change an Irish mother's light bulb? Like, you know. Jim and his jokes. 
they don't bother. I'll just sit in the dark, you know, <laughs> don't bother. I'll sit in the, you know, so they kind of, they, they famously, you know, just grin and bear, you know, they don't tell you, you know, they have like, they, they, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be grand. I'll just sit in the dark is the kind of the right one. Fine. <laughs> but, but the, um, but is it because they don't report it? They don't, they don't report it or is it because you think they report it and it's misinterpreted? So I think it's a few things. I think one, it's mainly when it is reported and that's the, obviously the opportunity for us to create interventions and things. Right. When it's reported, it's not believed. Because if you take the regular metabolic panel and you're looking for correlation with other um, assessments that you use to diagnose, um, if the, the labs or the other biomarkers are not proven it, they're traditional use in health system, they just don't believe the pain. And the idea and what they've had, what they realized from research is that when men present with pain, they believe them. And, it, and it's nothing more than bias, subjectivity. Um, women, I think it's also, I think people look at clinical diagnosis, a lot of um, clinical diagnosis, the research group are usually men, um, white men. And so they don't understand how different diseases can progress differently. And women at different ages, women at different ethnicities. Sometimes I don't believe myself, so I don't know. So I mean, so I mean, just to I guess because it is is a complex thing. It's multi layered. It's the research that is creating the, the clinical guidelines, the diagnostic right. guidelines that is skewed. There's yeah. bias and how people practice medicine, and there's also you know just there is also probably a little bit of like you said your Irish joke kind of grin and bear it because. Most women especially have had pain, menstrual pain at different parts of their life. And so maybe there's, there's something to be said elevating your pain. I think yeah. you know, those conversations, so, we need to put a bunch of like 1,000 doctors in a, in a room and nurse practitioners and clinicians and like figure this out. So is there a way to almost like transparently measure the pain? I mean, if you're working with any cool startups that are trying to sort of demystify pain, uh, like anyone we should be paying attention to? Yeah, I think um, there's a few things. So for the, there's some stuff I'm not working with directly and there's some I am. So I'm working with one startup called Ira out of um, Australia that is actually um, helping with public pain diagnosis and treatment. And public pain is obviously a very common area for a lot of women. Um, yeah. They're out of Australia, not sure if I mentioned that. Um, there's a startup that um, just changed their name I'm so sorry, I keep forgetting their new name, but I know them as, um, oh my gosh, I just do a blank. It's all right, it'll come back to you, we'll, we'll forgive you. Yeah, but basically uh, what she was doing, I was really, I was working for, um, um, oh my gosh, it's right there. Anyway, I was working with, um, um, she, the research came out of Yale University where she used sweat um, electrodes, so basically patches to, okay. to measure things like cortisol level, um, that can be used for multiple things. But of course, one of the, the things they've been researching so correlation is with pain management. Um, they've done some pivot because whenever they try to pitch the woman of FinTech um, value, it was hard to get the investment, another topic. Um, but um, so that's, um, that's one, um, that's enough. I know Dutch, um, Dutch um, I think Dutch Pharmaceuticals is another company. They have at-home tests that are doing cortisol levels. Yeah. Um, that's one point. There's a cool company called um, um, GI Jane, I believe their name is, yeah. and they um, yeah. looked them up. That Oakland, 
and they're kind of measuring pain for endometriosis patients. They say, you know, and does that, does your interest like move into like, we started doing some work recently with um, the injectable, the new, you know, kind of biologic injectable medications that are managing migraines, um, you know, where there's this whole new class of medications and, you know, migraines is like this kind of completely underdiagnosed or kind of underreported or undertreated area. Does it kind of fall into that area too, or is it more? Definitely, yeah. I think those companies doing innovation in there, it's really important. I, I Migraine is a whole nother pain category um, that I think clinicians are used to hearing um, right. complaints about. And I, I'm curious as to, now that we have those new treatments, there's more touch points and more understanding of what that clinical condition is. Do, do you feel like when the, when the, Far, like if when you look at the pharmaceutical industry, like it just funds so much of the underlying kind of objective research. So if you have, you know, good medications, you know, coming out in a certain area, like just take, take like rheumatoid arthritis or even like, you know, uh, the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, there's so much work in that area because there's so many uh, biologics and, you know, medications in rheumatology. I remember like 10 years ago, or probably 15 years ago, there was nothing, you know, you had no yeah. medical you have no medications and now there's you know the litany of, of fantastic medications at the whole industry and like rheumatologists are like rock stars yeah. you know because they're because they're you know making you know billion dollar industries by what they prescribe so who who prescribes in, in pain is the gp well so um and because i am my obsession is kind of skewed towards pain in women and undiagnosed pain in women um it's a lot of time it's OBGYN. And a lot of time I do think it is the acute health setting. So right. talking about, you know, just talk about your average woman who's, you know, a worker, a caregiver, right. a superwoman. Um, unfortunately, by the time she goes to um, complain about pain because of endometriosis, um, painful ovulation, anything around, especially around the, the, um, the feminine um, health system or her um, fertility or not fertility, but yeah. um, Whenever she comes for that, usually the first complaint is the OBGYN. But OBGYNs really rarely, unless you're pregnant, <laughs> it's really hard to get a mm-hmm. same-day appointment. So the person usually ends up going to the ER or to another acute care facility. Um, so a GP is sometimes needs to be educated definitely and educated and prioritized how to help that patient navigate a specialist um, um, consultation faster rather than later. So, so Eugene, women are sent home and said, "Oh, just go check with your OBGYN." Are, are you? Were you going to check on my pain levels since I haven't had another shot yet? Um, I, I I wanted to because um, you you kind of mentioned you're working with some startups, and I know you know fundraising has been a passion of yours, right? You you spent a, some time with Klaus and Berlin, but I know in the industry, and. Uh, I mean, there's definitely from a flow of dollars, euros, kind of into the un, un, unrepresented, underrepresented founders. So what, what has been your experience? Because I know you're, you're, you're kind of moving and shaking in the space in the world. So, Yeah, um, no, that's good to, um, thanks for bringing that topic up. Yeah, so it's, I'm sure everyone knows the last year, I would say last year or two, especially in the U.S. and also I see movements happening um, in the UK and some in Germany and other European markets, but there's this idea of like, how can we have more, how can we fund more diverse co-founders to make solutions for the full population? 
Right. Um, when we're in healthcare, it makes sense. You're not, you know, you want your solutions to be used by everybody, not just people who have insurance to make over 200K or the upper echelon of society. And so um, there is, I was saying the last year, especially this idea around underrepresented, um, uh, underrepresented co-founders. So these are people who are more diverse and specifically black, Latinos, women, older women, women of color. Um, there's just not enough of those co-founders that are getting the investment that they need. So is there, is there a lot of them? Is there a lot of them in general? Like, is it? There, there are a lot of them. So what I end up doing is taking a lot of time that I sometimes don't have, but it's just my passion is mentoring. Whenever I hear a company that's smart and it has a co-founder or the founding team has a woman or a woman, a woman or a person of color, I try to, at the very least, listen to them and open up my network to them. So there is a good amount of them. And then when they've done the research, there was a Harvard study, and I think there was also a study by, I want to say McKinsey, um, don't quote me on that, that shows that, especially women of color um, co-founders, that their ROI and in investment is four times that of um, the majority, which is white men um, co-founders. So That's you say this, you're like, okay, so why are there not more investments? So people, I know a lot of um, investors say there's a pipeline issue. There's not enough of them. So I disagree. There are enough of them. It's just the network is not the same. I have an excellent network. I've attended two Ivy League schools. I've worked for top 100 companies. I know you guys. Um, I open my network and I'm always surprised when I say, don't you know such and such at ventures are like, no, I don't. And right. I realized that that introduction and when you get that introduction to someone else, that was with the fundraising and the seed stage, which is so important, especially in healthcare or in other areas, to get them to get in over like six figures and a million ARR in their first couple of years to get that big round that they need. I think we're going through this like phenomenal time. I like I was thinking about it, like I we just appointed uh, two new members from our board and, and they, um, you know, we had a a woman that was actually the prime minister of Ireland to just come onto our board at one stage. She was a, the, the minister of the health. Yeah. I was very excited about that. And then a, a, another woman that I worked with for years out of um, uh, Keisha Muhammad that she's actually out of Pennsylvania and she worked with me uh, in the U S and um, she was at UPMC recently. But so, but when I went to my board, you know, just to give our story, not to give us kudos or anything here. So, so our board, my board, I didn't choose largely because if people gave me investment, they asked for yeah. a board seat. And, you know, kind of, I needed the money. They were good guys. They had lots of expertise um, and, you know, they came on the board. So when we started appointing non-independent directors, you know, I went and appointed these uh, two women and to a person, to a person, every single one, it was a, it was literally a 20 second, you know, I mean, it was literally maybe a five minute conversation explaining their background, you know, why I liked them, endorsed them. And, you know, and they obviously had very good reputations and very like high competency levels but just on the board immediately. Now, if I had brought in, you know, someone that looked like me onto the board, that would have been interviews and extensive meetings or whatever it is. And so my, and probably like a level of mistrust or almost like they, we have to get to know the person. We have to kind of do, to do that at a different level. So I think it's a phenomenal time of, you know, like it's just so much opportunity, you know, there's so much opportunity because people are hungry for it. And then, 
they came into the meeting and they were more prepared and more, <laughs> they were disciplined, you know, they had done the work, you know, they were just phenomenal, you know. But look, Jim, I mean, I, I think there's, there's all kinds of people and the reality is this, the, the negative shit still happens. I mean, I, you know, we're lucky to have awesome investors, right? Um, but through the process, I mean, Marina and I are like pitching together and we've had some of these, um, you know, calls and pitches with VCs where, I mean, even virtually, you can tell they're looking at me and I'm kind of like, well, Marina's the CEO. She's a kick-ass fucking amazing woman, right? Like, uh, why, why are you staring at me? She's the health coach, right? Like, and, but, but it was pretty obvious. Um, and, and, you know, anyway, it, it's just it's frustrating as shit. Yeah, and there's, I mean, you're talking about two different topics, but I will kind of adjust first, Eugene. I mean, I think a lot, of, a lot of investors do this thing called pattern matching. Pattern making. They want to. They okay. see a pattern between their investments and other investments in their um, specific area that they feel comfortable in, and they see a certain pattern: age, age of the co-founder, how long the co-founder team knew each other, market they're going into. They have not had the trust, or I hate to say, the cojones, the balls, the guts, to um, see if they can make a new pattern outside of what everyone else in Silicon Valley who has kind of made this investment um, sure. structure popular around the world. So that's the first challenge is that when, when a co-founder brings an innovation to you and it does not have the same pattern as other investors that became, uh, other investments that became unicorns in 10 plus years or whatever success metric they're looking for, um, how, are you, how are you able to listen and disrupt and actually put your money behind Right. Being innovative. Because yep. if you really look at VC, like the whole point of VC, why you why people take money from VCs versus traditional growth and private equities or angels is the idea that they are they're invested in what's next. And to me, um, it doesn't really make sense that that pattern making does not take into concern into and um, one of the factors is that yes, this person might not look like other co-founders, but let's talk about how that makes that person more successful instead of less successful. It, it, um, so it, it, I'm not surprised that that story, Marina, I think it happens all the time. Um, I spend a lot of time coaching and hearing the two companies pitch to me. And some, um, it's really interesting when women pitch, um, there was, I was on this um, selection community, um, committee last week, and we had a woman who came from my combinator who pitched. She got some money from there and she was ballsy and she was bold and she was, and, I, and there was other women on the panel like, oh, she was arrogant. I'm like, I love arrogance. But at the same point, I also love another um, company as co-founder, Samantha Scott. Um, she's doing great work um, at a John Hopkins of MLS, um, a medical device, uh, MLS. And um, it's called June Green. Remember that name. <laughs> um, and she, I mean, I think Samantha is a great researcher. She has a PhD. She's very educated. But she's more of an introvert. She's a scientist. And I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg's not a people's person. People gave money to him. Sorry, Mark, but that's what they say. So why? That's, that's why he invented a social network because he was antisocial. Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, I just want investors that are in the power or network or ecosystem leads who are in the power to listen, listen right. and only sponsor, either invest your money or find an introduction well, to outside. I, I think it's one of these things like, you, you know, you... Um, you know, like you do a good job, at, you know, building your network, right? Like, so if, if you feel like for some reason you're out of the club, you know, because you don't look like the other people or because, you know, they don't look at you when you're in the room, like to your point, 
you know, that you're somehow, then it's hard to network with those people. It's kind of intimidating, right? It's yeah. like, so, so, you know, and, and I, I think the, the network is every, you know, the network is so important. Like at the end of the day, the investors invest in people that they, they kind of can get familiar with and they can trust and yep. they kind of represent certain things. Which, so, which by the way, I'm, I'm, remember, I'm usually the, the time checker. So we're, 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 we're pushing it now. Okay. And then I just want to just follow up on what Jim was saying about um, board diversity. So I, I've had some personal conflict the last couple of weeks, but I am going to launch in the next two weeks um, initiative called the Marula Project. I've been working on this with a um, colleague, college friends um, who have HR and executive, um, um, I'm sorry, HR experience and employer law experience. And the Marula Project goal is to diversify boards. And we're really focusing on boards for a company like yours. So, Jim, I don't know why we didn't connect earlier, but I'll forgive you. <laughs> companies like yours, companies that are a scale-up phase, companies that are between Series A, Series D, um, the companies that will, who are not, you know, um, top 1,000, but are going to be there in a couple of years, who have some um, independent board seats that it will help to be filled by qualified professionals, qualified leaders, and we want to do that okay. action. So if there's anyone who listens to this, who has awareness of board seats, I've already developed a database that has thousands of people in it. When I get more, I'm tapping to my network from my schools, professional associations. We're also thinking of um, adding clinical advisors, diverse okay. clinical advisors, because diverse clinical um, clinicians usually see more diverse populations. And I think Great. it's really important as companies grow, as they're using technology, as they're building marketing campaigns, as they're yep. doing sourcing, that they kind of think of diversity purposely as a win-win, as a way, as part of their, their metrics of success. Well, and I a, think uh, a, having that leader in your board really helps with that. It, it's a great call to action, and I'll, I'll certainly ask you for the link. I did see you post, I think it was a Google Sheets doc yeah, uh, a while back. Yeah. yeah. We've been collecting things with so, the Google Sheet. We got some good partners, um, and I just yeah. just printed some things on a note. Awesome. awesome. Great work. Well, congrats getting that off the ground. Thank you. Yeah, and 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 all that managing it through the epicenter and through the last six months. So, uh, oh, crazy. But it was awesome. It was really awesome to. Oh yeah, I know it, it flies. <laughs> it flies by like crazy. So uh, che cheers to that. Um, and on that yeah. note, and then also I guess I can I just oh, you'll probably put how to reach me, but findmeonbrickshealth.com. Absolutely, it's great hanging out with you guys. I wish there was more drinks. <laughs> well, we we can we can we can do this off camera too. Okay, exactly. So on that note, um, Bricks Health com, we'll post um, a bunch of the links, uh, Rashida, and then uh, the viewers and the listeners just hit that subscribe button. Okay. All I right. All my friends to do so. Bye, guys. Cheerios.